Ever feel like you want to reinvent yourself and your creations? Need to figure out how to introduce a new project to the world? And how do you actually figure out when it's time to end an existing one? You're about to find out. Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. My guest today is Ron Placone. He's got all of those questions, and I'm going to hopefully help him answer them and help you guys figure some stuff out as well. Ron's a comedian, writer, actor, and recent filmmaker. He hosts the podcast 1000 with Ron Placone and writes the webcomic Lucy and Ron. This year, he released the short film Loner, had a vertical short called Frank Azuri premiere in Rome, and just finished his first feature that premiered in November called Left at Wall. Hey, Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Good to see you. Longtime listener, first time caller. I know. What people don't realize is that Ron has followed my stuff for a while and we've had some interactions and I had a lunch or a coffee something years ago. Probably been crazy. It's probably been, I don't know, at least five, six years, maybe even more. I'm glad that this gave us an excuse to, to reconnect. I love your questions and I'm really excited to get into them because I know these are things that lots of people are trying to figure out. So let's jump right into it. What is the first thing you want to know? I'll give like a little bit of a head start just for some background. Yeah, you know, please I'm do. I'm a comedian and, you know, I've been doing stand up for about 15 years. I've been in L.A. since 2016. I did a lot of work in the podcast talk space for a while. And now I'm trying to move more into a scripted, you know, filmmaking space. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I just did my first feature and, and I'm trying to hustle my scripts more. The strike has not been kind, but that's a different podcast for a different day. Yeah, I was going to say nice timing. So my first question in that spirit, how can a creative rebrand themselves? Well, well, my first advice is don't uh, shift directions into an industry that's shut down. <laughs> Unless you're a glutton for punishment. But I'm glad that things are, for the most part, sort of back up and running. So one thing I want to mention off the top is, you know, when it gets into sort of branding and niche are, are kind of related in, in a lot of ways. So one thing for anyone that's watching, listening, uh, I have a skill session called the Niche Definer, which you can check out at joshspector.com slash sessions. And it's a really helpful sort of exercise to go through, not only to sort of find your niche in the beginning, but I think it's also helpful to sort of help if you're thinking of pivoting and figuring that out. So just want to mention that up top. So let's talk about your specific situation right now. So talk to me a little bit about the audience you currently have. Do you feel like how connected are they to your existing brand? How aligned are they with sort of where you're going? Does it matter? You know, is this a pivot or is this sort of starting from scratch? Who are the people that you really want to sort of know what your quote unquote new brand or rebrand is? So kind of give me some context for how you feel about where you're at with that. I would say it's it's definitely not starting from scratch, but but there's a little bit of a you know, I, I might not get all the exact same people. I, I mean, my, you know, my content has always had, you know, a, a political edge from a progressive point of view that has not changed. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I still very much have that. I still have a toe in the podcasting world that I was more part of. It's not like I'm completely out of it. But I'm introducing, you know, new and different projects. And, you know, so far, some people have come along very enthusiastically. They're like, oh, this mm -hmm. is really cool. Certainly not everyone has. And, and it's, you know, I think some people, maybe it's just not what they're looking for. Maybe they don't mm -hmm. want, you know, they just want a talk show and that's it. But 
I think a lot of other people like they would find interest in an interview style show. They would find interest in films and episodic content, you know, that still has that same theme. So that's who I'm really trying to reach. And, and I think there's a lot of people who would like that kind of stuff and who do like that kind of stuff that don't know who I am yet or just don't <laughs> see me as that person. So a couple of things here. So first is I want to congratulate you on pursuing the things that you're excited to create and are interested in, because I see a lot of people who get stuck. They, they, they basically become hostage to their audience and they're like, I've put all this work in, I've done all these things. I've attracted these followers and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be millions of followers, right? It could be, you know, a few hundred, a few thousand, whatever. And they go, I really want to create this different thing. I want to go this different direction, but I feel like I'm just abandoning all this stuff that I have. So I guess I got to kind of keep giving people what they want. And I think that is a massive mistake that a lot of people fall into. And so the fact that you're just like, you know what? And it doesn't mean that you're abandoning them, but I always think it's a good idea to pursue what you're most interested in and where you want to go creatively not just sort of be stuck feeding what you've already created and right. So I want to say that up front. That said, going that direction is going to cost you some people, right? There's going to be people anytime we do anything sort of different. And by the way, you could be in the, you could have the same specific niche, right? And it was a podcast and now you start doing a newsletter. There's people that are, that love what you're doing, but they're like, I don't read newsletters. I only want one of the podcasts. So anytime you go in a different direction, you're going to lose some people. That's okay. Some of those people are going to come with you. You know, and I think you first discovered me when I was doing connected comedy stuff for the most part. I have some people who were following me for that comedy stuff and came with me. And I have a lot of people who were like, I wanted, to, I don't care about this business stuff. I wanted the comedy stuff. So yes, it's going to cost you some people and understanding that like, okay, that's okay. Because the other thing that's going to happen is it's going to attract new people who weren't interested in what you were doing before. I think people get hung up on worrying about, oh, I'm going to lose those people. And they overlook the fact that it's going to attract new people. And maybe it cancels out. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a bigger audience. Like that all remains to be seen. There's no way to know that. But don't be too worried about the people I had are not coming with me on this new journey. It's okay. It's just not for them. But there will be new people that it is for. The other thing to keep in mind here is that, you know, brand is a reflection of what you do, not what you say. So what that means is that the things that you start creating, the things that you start putting out there, the things that you start talking about, they're going to define your brand more so than anything that you say. A lot of times when it comes to brand, people get sort of caught up and go, now I'm this, right? Like you, as if you have to make this pronouncement and go, I'm now a filmmaker. I'm no longer this other stuff. And I'm not saying not to say that and not to start using those terms, but when you start putting films out there instead of other things or being focused on, that's ultimately going to define what you are. You see people who will go the other way and go, I am now a filmmaker. In the meantime, they haven't put out a film in forever. It's like you're a filmmaker when you make the film and put it out. And I know you've, you've already done some of that, which is great. So keeping that in mind and not worrying too much about how do I announce this? How do I like you don't have to right? it's going to sort of gradually evolve into what you're doing. And I think a perfect example to answer your question, because I have gone through this in various ways. And one of the things I talk about in the niche definer is that, you know, your niche will always evolve no matter how successful you are, no matter how much you like it. 
there is no way that 10 years from now, you're going to be in the same place doing the same things as you were 10 years ago. Now, some of those evolutions will be large. There'll be big shifts and other times they'll be small and it may, you may go narrower, you may go broader, but it's constantly in an evolution. And so I think so, the idea that your brand was ever going to be stagnant is not true. And I think if you look back on what you've done, it's always been evolving, right? So this is a continuation of an evolution of you as a creative. It's not just this sort of now I'm changing everything. And so for me, when I started my, my For the Interested newsletter about seven years ago, the tagline was like, ideas to help you get better at your work, art, and life, which is like all over the place, right? very broad. And it was very sort of broadly self-improvement focused. So I might share something about, you know, how to grow your newsletter, but then I might also share something about how to get a good night's sleep and how to be more productive. So sort of much broader than my current focus. It was that for probably at least a year, maybe more. And I eventually decided to sort of niche down to focusing on creators and focusing on sort of audience and business growth. And I was no longer going to share the sort of how to get a better night's sleep stuff, right? It was going to be much more tactical. And one of the reasons, by the way, that the name of the newsletter is for the interested because it, it was purposefully broad. So I was just sharing things that were sort of interesting and kind of self-improvement-y whatever that I, you know, so I eventually pivoted that down. I didn't change the name, but the content, again, your brand is what you share and what you do changed dramatically. Now, when I did that, I knew consciously in my own mind that was where I wanted to go. And I might have changed some of the positioning and the taglines and the whatever, the way I would describe what it was. But what I didn't do was I didn't make some announcement and go, hey, guys, I'm no longer this. I'm now that. this newsletter is no longer this. It's now that what I did was I just stopped sharing the stuff that was like the sleep articles and what I was sharing in the newsletter, what I was putting out, what I was putting on social was now much more focused to this narrower sort of, you know, to use your terms, like the new brand, the rebrand of what I was doing. And I never to this day ever said, oh, I've made a switch. It just sort of happened. And I knew as I was doing that, that there would be people who were subscribed because they liked the articles about sleep. They weren't a creator, they weren't whatever, but they liked the sort of general interesting stuff or, or those kind of self-improvement-y things. I knew that somewhere along the line, they were going to go, I, this, I'm not getting anything from this newsletter anymore. And they were going to leave and they were going to unsubscribe and whatever. And they did. I was like, let them figure out where I'm going and see if it's for them. So removing that pressure of, I have to make this statement, right? I have to announce this thing because the truth is, even you don't exactly know what your brand is going to become and where you're going. Like you're finding it as you go. So people are smart enough, they will pick up on, and I'm sure you're already seeing a little of this, right? Some of the people are excited about the new stuff you're doing and some of them don't care and they'll filter themselves out while you attract new people. So that I think is how I would recommend approaching it. And then the other thing here, the last thing on this is I think there's four questions I think it's really helpful to consider when you're going to reinvent yourself or your brand. So here they are. The first one is ask yourself, is what I'm doing a rebrand or is it an evolution of my existing brand? Those are not the same thing. A rebrand is I'm going in a totally different direction. A rebrand might be Ron is no longer a creative. He's an accountant. Like, 
an evolution of your existing brand is I used to be focused on podcasts and now I'm and comedy and now I'm a filmmaker. That's a shift. And a lot of the stuff you might make films about is similar to the things that you were doing in your podcast. There's some through line there, right? That's an evolution. In most cases with creatives, it's an evolution more so than it is a rebrand. I think that's helpful to sort of, but it's helpful to think about in your own mind, what are you doing? The second question to ask yourself is, what's the story behind the shift that you're making? And how can you tell that story and make that story compelling to your audience? Can you tell it and how can you tell it repeatedly in different ways in different places? The key here is there's always a story behind what you're doing and the direction that you're going. The more people understand where you're going and why, the more likely they are to follow you there. The third question, is your new brand designed to appeal to a new audience or is it for the same audience, but in a new way? For example, it would be one thing to shift a brand from helping creators to helping creators use AI. That's appealing to the same audience. It's just sort of doing it in a different way. It's a totally different thing to shift your brand from helping creators to helping nonprofit organizations. So understanding what this new brand shift is, right? Is it about a new audience or is it about a similar audience in a new way? And it might be a little bit of both, but helpful to sort of think through how that works. And then the last question here to think about is how will you know you've been successful? What does it look like to rebrand yourself? And I think ideally you're going to aim for some sort of metrics or something that is better than just it feels like it's working. It feels like people see me differently or get what I'm doing. So is it about sales? Is it about more subscribers? Is it about more different or better leads? Is it about more testimonials? Is it about, you know, attracting new people to your films or converting a certain number of people in your audience to watch your films? Is it about a different type of client or audience member? Or maybe it's about less of all of those things. A lot of times, more subscribers, not necessarily better. More followers, not necessarily better. The questions you're getting, the replies, the, the qualitative stuff beyond just the quantitative stuff, the opportunities that are coming your way. Are people contacting you for advice about filmmaking as opposed to or with opportunities around filmmaking as opposed to advice or opportunities around podcasting? These can be very subtle things that indicate people are seeing you differently and, and are ways to sort of measure the quote unquote success of your rebrand. Does all that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that that's uh, very good and, and a lot to think about. And and I was actually on, on part three, I, I was going to follow up. I jotted down was I was like, could yeah. it be a little bit of both, but you, you already answered that. So yeah, it can. And in most cases it will be, but I think it's helpful to, to with that in mind, sort of understand for the people in my audience that wants this, this is what makes sense. And these are the new people that my previous stuff had no relevance to. But now this new stuff does, right? And you're sort of, you're, you know, it's interesting. You're sort of reconfiguring your audience. Or if you think about it as like a Venn diagram, the circles are changing. Sure. And so some of that, some of the people that were in the sort of overlap of the Venn diagram no longer are, but other people that were in that circle are. So that's another interesting way to sort of think about it. So let's get to your next question. What's the next thing you want to know? So my next question is kind of just diving in a little more specific because, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm doing projects that are different than anything I've ever done before. Mm -hmm. So what are the best practices to introduce new creative projects, like a new podcast series, a movie, et cetera, which I have both of those things. So. Yeah, cool. 
So I'm going to give you some, some general recommendations that can be used for anything, but I also thought it would be fun to get a little specific. So let's talk about a specific project you have that you want to introduce. Okay, so my new podcast series, my, my old podcast was just a kind of news and politics oriented podcast. Mm -hmm. and it was just called Get Your News On With Ron. And it was literally just news that I felt was important to share. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And it just sort of ran its course with me. My new podcast series is called 1000. And mm -hmm. it's an idea that I had for a long time. It can be traced back to a conversation I had with V. Val, who founded the zine Search and Destroy. Many years ago, he told me he thinks there's only a thousand interesting people in the world and he wants to document as much of that as possible, which mm -hmm. I think is a cool set of it. I don't agree with it literally because right. who am right. I to say what is and isn't interesting? But I thought the sentiment of it was really neat. What if I went on a quest to interview a thousand different people that have my interest in some way? So mm -hmm. I started that series and it's been a blast so far. I mean, I've had, you know, Martin Barr from Jethro Tull. I've talked to Jello Biafra. I've talked to artists who, you know, left the United States for Mexico. I've talked to Cory Doctorow. So public intellectuals, academics, mm -hmm. musicians, comedians. So it's just sort of the, this, you know, just this interview series that I'm real excited about. And in the intro, I say why they made my list of 1000, what it is about them that I find very interesting and why. So I want to really introduce that. And I think people that liked what I was doing prior, they would enjoy this, but it's definitely different. It's a different type of podcast than anything I've done. Okay. So let me ask you a question. The people that liked, let's say your podcast before, what did they like about it? Why did they like it? Why do you think they were, why were they fans? Why were they listening? I, I think because I talked about stuff that was interesting to them that they didn't see covered elsewhere such a just interesting sort of news stuff like what yeah, what do like, you think they would say? i mean obviously they're not obviously they're listening because they're interested right they find it interesting but my question is if you go a level deeper what about it did they think what why was it interesting to them i talked about topics that often did not get covered in other places and, and i kind mm -hmm. of was like clear about those niches I, i'm really interested in digital rights it's something i'm still interested in so I would cover a lot of news stories in that space. And, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, they had interest in it, but it was sort of hard to find elsewhere. But they do. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Ron's this kind of, you know, lefty punk rock digital rights mm -hmm. enthusiast guy. And he's a comedian. And, and so he's going to package all that up for us every week. So it was a pretty niche thing. Like, it's not like my audience mm -hmm. was humongous, but people knew that was what they were going to get. And they, mm -hmm. they counted on it for that. And, you know, this series is different. I don't do it in that way. I'm not curating mm -hmm. news stories, but I am talking to a lot of people that are in those similar spaces because obviously it's interesting. There's definitely a bit of a through line, but it's different. Okay. So this is a perfect example. And I'm not saying this is exactly the way you should do it, but I think this will just give you an example of how to sort of think about it. So you had this show and a big part of why. So let me talk about it. right now, the way you're thinking about it or presenting it is this show was sort of about the news and had whatever format it was. And this show is about me interviewing people. And in your mind, you're going, these are very different. And they are very different if you look at it through that lens. Now, let me give you a different lens to look, about, look at it through. The news show, people were listening because they were like, Ron is really good at uncovering and finding things that I haven't heard about. I have this set of interests. 
Ron knows how to find that stuff. It's not actually about the news. It's about Ron's ability to surface things that are interesting. The new show is also about Ron's ability to surface and uncover things that are interesting to these type of people. They're about the same thing. They're just different formats. So the underlying, so again, so when you're telling the story, and this is a sort of overall tip, if you have one thing and you're launching a new thing and you want to look for what is that connective tissue that makes it a logical jump. Now, there's still going to be some people that are like, I don't want to hear an interview show. But if you position it as, again, you're creating a story to tell, and I'm going to talk more about that in a second, but the, there's a narrative here, or there can be a narrative here that this also goes to evolution versus rebrand. The evolution is you're passionate about uncovering stuff that is interesting in, within this sort of niche field mindset, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? You're doing the same thing, but now you're uncovering interesting people and you're uncovering lessons from them and things that they've found interesting. This is not a great, this is not a great example of it, but you know, Tim Ferriss and his tools of Titans book and all of that kind of stuff is sort of interviewing people, which is very different than Tim Ferriss doing his own sort of experiments and life stuff and whatever, right? In theory, that's really different, but it feels all connect. It feels like a sort of evolution, a different way to do the same sort of core thing. So the chances are, and this is true for all of us in most cases, when you start something new, if you have an existing audience or existing things that you've done before, there's something about it that's similar, even if they feel completely different. So when you, you present it, it doesn't mean that the way you present the show generally to the public and to new people is that you can play up, you know, the show is going to have different packaging and positioning and whatever, but to your existing audience, you want to play up the things that are similar, right? Because they may not even realize in their mind, they're going, oh, I like it because he shares the news. But the truth is there's lots of places they can get the news. They like it because your filter, your ability to uncover this interesting stuff and that's the part that you're still, that's the same. It's just a different way and a different angle. Not all of them will come, but when you talk about it to your existing audience, that makes it seem like a, of much more interest than just, oh, Ron's going to now go interview people. You Before you were curating news. And again, I'm just riffing here, but there's a version of, if you thought the news that I curated was interesting, where do you see the people that I curate? And so now people are coming with you. So that's sort of how you, that's one way to sort of connect it. So now the other thing in terms of best practices to, to launch these projects, I think there's five things to, that you should do when you launch a new project, almost regardless of what the project is. So the first one is you want to have a remarkable story behind it. And that's a Seth Godin line. He talks about things that are remarkable, meaning that they're worthy of people talking about and noticing, right? You want to have, there's something noteworthy that makes the origin of whatever you're creating more compelling. So you had just talked about a, a perfect example of it is the guy talking about, I think there's only a thousand interesting people in the world. And I'm not saying that's your origin story, but that makes a show where you're going to interview a thousand people way more compelling. Just that little bit of packaging, right? The story behind it makes people more interested in it. What you don't want is you don't want people to say, oh, it's yet another interview show. There's a million interview shows. So finding a story and creating a story, an origin story that makes it more interesting will make people more likely to check it out. The second thing you should do when you launch a new project is create a focused burst of promotion. 
And you don't have to do that when it's brand new. You can actually do this at any point. You decide, okay, I'm going to do, this is going to be show week, or it's my one-year anniversary, or it's whatever. But you want to have some sort of burst. So for example, let's say you're going to appear as a guest on 10 podcasts to promote your show. Appearing on 10 podcasts in the same week is way more powerful than on 10 podcasts over the course of 10 weeks. It's great to be continually promoting, but you want to create this moment where it feels like your new project is everywhere. So imagine if you know other shows that people listen to in your audience, and all of a sudden, four of those shows, you're a guest on the same week. It makes your project feel like a big thing. Whoa, this Ron show is everywhere. Hey, everyone's talking about it. I got to go check it out. The third thing to do when you launch a new project is repetition. No matter how much you think your audience is aware of your new project or your old project for that matter, trust me, they are not. Say it again, say it in a new way, say it in a new place. I literally did a Twitter poll the other day and I was like, have you listened to my podcast? Yes, no, or you have a podcast? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And I think like 35% of my Twitter followers said, didn't know I had a podcast despite me sharing clips, talking about it all the time. Like they just don't know. So repeat it, especially when you're sort of launching something new, make it unavoidable. The fourth thing to do when you launch a new project, tap into other people's audiences, leverage cross promotions, guest appearances, favors, whatever you can do to get people who can help reach the people you need to reach to do. It's, you know, it's the easiest and, and most cost-effective because you don't even have to pay for it necessarily. Everyone is so focused on trying to attract new people to them that they forget the easiest way to get to people is go to other people who already have connections and relationships to those people. And then the last thing here to do when you launch a new project is some sort of paid promotion. Even if you can only afford a tiny budget, I always think you should put some money into where your creation is and getting other people to see it. I, I truly believe you owe it to yourself. I'm amazed how many people will spend so, they'll invest so much time and effort into creating a thing. And then they literally won't spend $10 to help people discover it. You know, if you're going to invest 10 hours into something, it seems like it's worth at least $10 in Facebook ads or Instagram ads or something. And again, if you have more money, that's awesome. But I think you want to be financially invested in the promotion of a new project on some level, not just, okay, I put a lot of time and effort and I hope that people find it. So if you do those five things, it's not going to guarantee the success of your new project, but it is certainly going to help. And all of those things are designed to put your project in a place where you have the opportunity to make the most of it. Any questions about any of that? Yeah, there's a lot of information and this episode is out. I'm actually going to listen with a notebook. Yeah, I, great. I That's what I like to hear. Down, but I didn't, I mean, I, I want to be like present. So I, I didn't write yeah. everything down, right? I think that's pretty straightforward. I guess one thing I, I could, ha I, I do have a little bit of a follow-up on what would be, I mean, I know you use the $10 mark and, and mm -hmm. I know it depends on what one has, but what would you say is, is sort of a healthy perspective financially? Should it just be like, you know, 20% of your revenue or, or what's kind of some sort of barometer there? It's a great question. It varies a lot. But I think one thing, again, and this depends on your creations and this gets into business model and a million other things, right? But hypothetically, let's take the podcast, for example. In a perfect world, 
not always easy to do, but in a perfect world, even if you're estimating, you have some idea of what a listener or let's say a subscriber to your podcast is worth from a lifetime value perspective. Now, this depends again on the business model and what you're trying to accomplish, right? Do you have sponsors? Do you have, you know, do you sell products? Do you whatever, right? But in, in some way, so I'll give you an example from my newsletter. And this is very rough estimate, but I have about 40,000 newsletter subscribers. I have a little over 400 skill sessions members. Now, that is not the only way I monetize. This is where it gets a little confusing because I also sell sponsorships and I also sell individual skill sessions and I do consulting calls. And so you can dive way deep into this. But if I were to just simplify it, 400 members out of 40,000 subscri free subscribers is, I believe, 1%. I'm terrible at math, but let's call it 1%. A subscriber right now, my skill sessions membership is about $200 a year. The lifetime value, because a lot of times most people stay more than one year, a member for me is worth, let's say, about $300, give or take, on average, okay? So if 1% of my newsletter subscribers are worth going to become a paid annual member for $300, I know for every 100 subscribers I get, I earn $300 because one of the 100 becomes an annual member and that's worth $300. So now this is all very rough, but now I've gotten to a point where I at least have some estimate of what a subscriber is worth. A hundred subscribers for me is worth $300, hypothetically. So now when I'm thinking about paid promotion, I go, if I spend $300 to get a hundred subscribers, I break even. If I spend $150 to get 300 subscribers, I earn $150. So now ideally you would get to a point where the money you're spending now becomes, a, you know, is profitable. I'm looking for ways that if I spend, if I put $150 into the machine, I get 100 subscribers out and I know that's profitable. And then in theory, I should spend as much as possible because I'm making money. But even if the math isn't that, even if it costs me $300 to get 100 subscribers, it's break even. So now I can look at it and say to myself, is it worth break even to grow my list because ultimately it's going to create other revenue streams? So even the math can be tricky. And so it's going to be tough to get to an exact number and especially with podcasts and downloads and all of that. But creating some version for yourself of this is what a podcast subscriber is worth to me, or this is what, you know, 100 podcast subscribers or 100 podcast downloads, some number. So that gives you, even if you're guessing, it gives you a baseline to go, okay, now when I spend money, I can measure what I got from it. I did this, I promoted this episode and it got 200 more downloads than I typically get. And it cost me $200, whatever I did. I ran an ad, I did, you know, whatever it was. So now you can at least go, do I think a download is worth a dollar to me? And this is going to be trial and error and you're going to sort of adjust, but that's the way to think about it as opposed to a lot, what a lot of people do, which is just sort of randomly pick a, a number or whatever, because the, the truth is if you're, so like, if you're like, okay, I make X amount and I'm going to invest 20% of that back in ads. But if that 20% is not getting you a return that's worth it, then it doesn't make sense to pay 20%. If it is getting you a return that's worth it, then you should be probably spending 60% or, or whatever. There's also a, a concept that Nathan Barry, who's the founder of ConvertKit, has been talking about a lot. He and Rachel Rogers have a podcast called Billion Dollar Creator. 
And they talk about creator flywheels, which goes into, it's sort of taking a business flywheel strategy and applying it to the creator market. And I, I won't try to explain it now, but Google creator flywheels and listen to the Billion Dollar Creator podcast. And they'll talk a lot about sort of, because that's what you want to get. You ultimately want to get to a place where the money you're spending is driving more money than round it goes. And, and that's the sort of flywheel. It's a great question though, because I think lots of people struggle with that. And again, I would say don't get overwhelmed by, it can be hard to figure out the exact math, but at least if you have some idea, I remember early on when I was running some ads for my newsletter before even really kind of figuring any of this out, in my own mind, I was like, all right, I think roughly speaking, a dollar subscriber is worth it. And in my own mind, I was like, okay, if I spend a thousand dollars and get a thousand subscribers, I need three of those thousand people to become members of my skill sessions, or I need one of them to book a clarity call. So in my own mind, I was sort of doing rough math like that, right? Okay. Do I think one of a thousand subscribers would book a clarity call with me and, or three of them would become skill session members probably. And so I'll probably get my money back from that. So again, Ideally, you get exact, but even if you can't get exact, you can sort of ballpark it and it allows you to be somewhat strategic in what you're doing. Great. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. Oh, one other thing to look up, look into lifetime value, just in general as a concept of how to measure lifetime value of customers or audience or anything, because that's a key part of any kind of paid promotion. You need to understand what a customer or audience member acquisition gets you. To, in order to understand what you should be spending to, to acquire one. Uh, cool. So let's get to your third question. What is the last thing you want to know? My third question, this, I think this is actually something I saw from a blog post from you uh, as well that, that, that sort of inspired this question, but, you know, going through this process and, you know, everything that I've described on this episode, it's not, Hey, this happened last week. This was over the course of, of a couple years, but you've talked about the importance of ending projects that have run their course or are no longer valuable. What are some key elements to look for to confirm that is the case? I'm a big believer in ending things. And I love, first of all, I have to say, I love that the word you used in the question was end and not quit. It's a tiny little thing, but I'm such a big believer in the importance of the words we use. And I think one of the biggest things that prevents people from ending projects is they think about it as quitting. And those are not the same things. Quitting is giving up. Ending is making a conscious decision to say, I'm going to put my time and effort somewhere else. And there's a variety of good reasons to do that. This has run its course. We all have limited time and resources and all of that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with ending a project. And I think it becomes much easier when you think about it in those terms, as opposed to quitting, because everybody, we all have our own issues about, I don't know, am I giving up too soon? Am I, you know, et cetera. And along those lines, the first thing I would say is, you know, I'm a big Seth Godin fan. I think it's my second reference to him in this podcast. But have you ever read the book, The Dip? Awesome book, super short read. Seth Godin, he came out with it a while ago. I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. But the entire point of the book is that essentially with any project, with especially with creative work, but with anything you do, you get excited, you start out, you're doing it, you're doing it. And then you get to what he calls the dip, which is this point where it's sort of stagnant and you're in this place where you're like, do I continue or not? Is this working or not? All of that stuff. 
And the book is about how you think through and what you do in that moment. And it's not skewed to, oh, you should just push through it. I'd say at least half of the book, if not more, is about, no, you probably should stop. It's not always about getting through the dip, but it's about what do you do in that moment and how do you figure out essentially what you're asking? How do you figure out if you should end your project or if you should go forward? Because a lot of times on the other side of that dip is lots of success, but that doesn't mean that you should, and a lot of times you should stop doing it. So great book, highly recommend it. Another thing too, is I think in general, I think it's always a good idea. I'm going to say this as an absolute, even though it's not necessarily an absolute, but you know, don't, don't start a project without an end in mind. So give yourself some sort of out or the opportunity for an end. When I started this podcast, I was like, I'm going to, I committed to doing 12 episodes over the course of three months. And I was like, I'm going to do at least that. And then I'm going to see where I'm at. And if I don't want to continue for whatever reason, then that's fine. And I can end it there versus people who start things that are just never ending. I'm going to start this thing. And when you start something that's never ending from the very beginning, literally on a daily basis, you're trying to figure out whether or not you should continue. So you're constantly trying to figure out, should I quit? Is it working? And that is super draining. Whereas if you started out and go, I'm going to do this for a week, I'm going to do this for a month, I'm going to do this for three months, I'm going to do this for 10 episodes or whatever it is, it allows you to go, I'm not even going to assess whether or not I should quit until I get to that point. And it's very easy to then re-up. So it's very easy to go and you, it gives you, that approach gives you permission in those moments. It makes it easier for you to walk away if you don't want to do it anymore and not feel like a failure because you're like, I set out to do 12 and I did 12 and now I'm, you know, now I'm going to go in a different direction. And it just, it creates that space for you also to decide to go on or not, right? It's not this sort of never ending thing and you're not constantly trying to figure out, is it working? So the other thing, when you're in that space or just in general feeling this way, I came up with four signs it's time to end a project. And you'll notice that I said, and not quit. Another reminder, the words you use frame the decisions that you make matter a lot. So the first sign it's time to end a project is you no longer want or value the things you set out to get from it when you start it. Goals change. Everything evolves. Your life changes, your time changes. It's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I've been put all this time and effort and work into this thing, but I don't even really want what's going to, even if this thing worked better, I don't even want that anymore. So why am I still doing it? Not a, so that's one thing, one big reason that you should end the project. The second reason or sign that it's time to end a project is it's a project you wouldn't start today if it didn't already exist. We get caught in stuff all the time. And it's, would I like, and it's very easy for me to sort of look at certain things and go, if my newsletter didn't exist, would I start it and want to do it today? A thousand percent. Yes. My podcast, which I recently cut back from weekly to twice a month. If I was starting today, would I start it weekly? Probably not. I might just at the beginning to get the sort of momentum going, but I think that's a great question, right? Are you just doing it because you've already been doing it for a while or are you actually, is it something you want to do? And I think, you know, Jeff Bezos famously at Amazon preaches the idea that every day is day one, right? So if you look at your thing and go, if this were day one, what would I be doing this? And this extends not just to projects, but just because I've worked with this type of client in the past doesn't mean I need to work with that type of client moving forward. If I didn't have that experience, if I didn't have 
the reference point of, oh, I've helped a bunch of these types of people. Are those the clients I would go after today? You don't have to. Every day is day one. So the third sign it's time to end a project is if you struggle to answer this question, what level of success would this project have to have for me to want to keep doing it? So I think a lot of times we get hung up in the sort of forever what this thing could be and where it's going and, you know, whatever, but we don't actually stop to take a step back and go, let's take a podcast, for example. You know, if your podcast, let's say, is getting a thousand downloads per episode, making this up and you go, okay, I'm not sure I want to keep doing this. Would I want to keep doing it if next month I was getting 2000 downloads an episode? Would I want to keep doing it if I was getting 5,000 downloads an episode? Would I want to keep doing it if it was getting 20,000 downloads an episode? And what's interesting is as you do that, your instincts will sort of show you, you know, let's say it was getting 1,000 downloads and I said, oh, if this was getting 5,000 downloads an episode, I still wouldn't want to do it. You've just said that if you 5X the success, you still don't really want to do it. So maybe you really don't want to do it. Yes, there will be a point where you go, okay, at that number, I would probably want to do it. But what this tells you is even with significant progress, again, however you define success, it could be financial, it could be downloads, it could be whatever, it could be getting better guests, it could, you know, whatever it is, right? It gives you some gauge of, I would want to do this if under these set of circumstances, which then allows you to sort of go, how realistic or close am I to those set of circumstances? And why would I want to do this if I got 100,000 downloads, but not if I got 5,000 downloads, right? And how it gives you a way to sort of judge that. If you have a hard time answering that question, if you have a hard time coming up with the success level at which you'd want to keep doing it, you probably just don't want to keep doing it. You probably just don't want to keep doing it. Uh, and it's time to end it. So the fourth uh, and final sign it's time to end a project is you're not willing to wait at least one year for whatever that level of success is that would make you want to keep doing it. So in general, impatience is not a great thing. I'm a big believer in that you need to be patient and all this, all success takes time. But sometimes impatience means more than just that you're impatient. Sometimes it means that you don't actually really want that thing. So let's say that, you know, and that going back to that podcast example, you're currently getting a thousand downloads a month or a thousand downloads an episode. And you say, you know what, if I got 10,000 downloads an episode, I would still want to be doing this. But if I said to you, okay, again, this hypothetical, you're going to get 10,000 downloads an episode, but you're not going to get them for a year. So you got to keep grinding and keep doing what you're doing for a year until you get to that point. Do you still want to do it? And I think, again, you may, but there also will be people will be like, I don't know, another year. And I'm taking a year as a random example. But I think there would be people that would go another year of grinding at this. Like, I, I don't really want to do that. Which again is sending you a signal that like, you don't really want to do this. And you can pick whatever interval you want. I think a year is a good one, but you could go, depending where you're at, realistically, if you think about what's it going to take me to go from 1,000 to 10,000 downloads, really, are you willing to wait three years to get to that level? Maybe you don't want to do it. So I think, those four things, I think, are all signs that it might be time to end the project that you're working on. Any questions about any of that? Does that resonate? Does it make you, does it help you clarify some things potentially? It definitely, it resonates a lot. And honestly, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about choices I've made over the past year and a half. Of, oh, that, that was the right call then. So yeah, no, that was very helpful. That's great. And I think it's also, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it's important to understand that 
this process of thinking about and using these kind of frameworks to consider whether or not you should end something isn't just helpful when you're thinking maybe you want to end it. It's also helpful to reaffirm, no, I am doing the right thing. I do still want and value the things that I set out to get from this. And I would still be doing this if I hadn't already started it. It can be very sort of reaffirming of the decisions that you've made to keep doing stuff, because I think we all can get lost in that. Is this working? Should I still be doing this? Do I want to still be doing this? And so I think it's helpful both ways, not only to help you, you know, decide, okay, maybe it's time to move on, but it's also sort of helpful to go, no, you know what? Like I'm doing this for a reason. I like doing this and maybe I'm not having the success that I want necessarily right now, but I don't feel like I am on the right track. Like I, I enjoy doing this. And, you know, again, taking that sort of ownership of our choices and decisions either way is really, really helpful and important. Ron, thank you for all the attention you've given my stuff over the years. Thank you for these questions. I know tons of people in my audience and listening and watching to this are trying to figure out similar stuff. Once again, congratulations on following your creative interests and not getting stuck like so many creators do, just trying to, you know, keep doing what they used to do and serve people because that's what they think they want. Let people know where they can check out your old and new projects. Where can they find you? First of all, thank you. I mean, I, I know we don't have time to get in the story, but I told you when we got coffee how, you know, some of your early posts on Connected Comedy really, really helped me out a lot back in the day. So thank you. And uh, yeah, people can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Romplacone. Romplacone.com is my website. There are already screenings scheduled for my film Left at Wall. So Tucson, Arizona, Washington, D.C., Omaha, Nebraska, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Sheffield, U.K. We got some screenings scheduled. We should have some more and some festivals, but my website's the best place to follow along for all that. And you can get my podcast, 1000 with Ron Placone, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. If people check out your podcast, what one episode should they start with? Ooh, that's a fun question. I would say start with the first one. Start with Beans on Toast. He's a phenomenal uh, singer-songwriter from the UK, if you haven't listened to him already. And it, it was just sort of a fun chat, you know, two millennials talking music and talking his stuff. It's kind of a good template for the show. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. Uh, you can check out my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, joshspector.com slash sessions. I am on Twitter all the time, posting nonsense at jspector. If you would like to come on this show and ask me three questions, I'd be happy to help you as long as you have good questions. Go to joshspector.com slash questions. Thanks everybody for your interest and I will see you next week.